eternity. That's the series. And today it's, we're going to call it the keys to the kingdom right out of the scripture, right? Now, I can't deny, and I don't want to deny, that heaven is a place. That heaven is a place. Um, um, I know many of you read, uh, as I have, uh, uh, Dr. N.T. Wright, very famous theologian. And uh, N.T. Wright has um, often said to uh, uh, want to say, no, there's not heaven. It, 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 there's not a, heaven is not a place. But that's not what he really says. If you really listen to what N.T. Wright says, he will use the word merrily, merrily. It's not merely a place. And he, what, he, what he's touching on, he's touching on uh, the, how the church, for, for quite some time now, I would say for the last three decades, uh, the, the church has so made heaven only about a destination, merely a destination. Heaven's merely been, been a destination. Eternity's merely have been about the afterlife. And so this, is, this has caused a dysfunction in the church of Jesus Christ. You, you have what I was raised with was such an obsession with going to heaven. That's, uh, that's kind of 75%, I think, of what we talked about was going to heaven. So we ignored the work that we were called to do on earth. And that's probably where the cliche came from. So heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think that happened in the church of Jesus Christ. It happened in the part of the church of Jesus Christ that I was raised in was um, so heavenly minded, no earthly good sometimes. We, we had these great opportunities to do great. So imagine if the church of that era would have led the way in social justice. We could have, we could have, set, the, we could have set the pace for social justice and we could have done it biblically and we could have been the leaders in social justice instead of always being late to the social justice game and we let the secularists and the atheists and the agnostics define what social justice is and what it was. But that's one part. The other, the other problem with, uh, with merely seeing heaven as a destination and some place we're going to go to when we die, the problem, other problem with merely seeing that is, uh, and this has happened in a large part of the evangelical church, is if you can just get your ticket to heaven, then you're set. You can kind of not think too much about your life, you know, or, or, or being a productive believer or submitted to Christ. Just get your ticket to heaven. I, I, and I've, I've had this conversation with parents who, who you, as their children would begin to get into things that you're worried about them and worried about what they're going to do with their life and the habits they're developing and and uh, and, uh, and and maybe they're going to go to heaven but but they're taking a lot of people to hell <laughs> while they're going to heaven if, if that's if unconditional eternal security happens to be your view it's not mine but if it happens to be your view so parents would tell me i'm not worried they accepted jesus in children's church they're going to go to heaven so, well, what about their life? <laughs> what about the 70, 80 years they're going to live here? So shouldn't we care about that? And uh, so th that, that's what happens kind of when you, uh, I'm not really concerned about whether descriptions of heaven are literal or figurative, you know, streets of gold, gates of pearl. You know, my brother wrote a song one time uh, that said, uh, uh, I don't care if the streets are gold or gravel. I don't care if the gates are pearl or wood. I don't care if I have a mansion or a cabin. Those things don't make you happy anyway. <laughs> Most of all, I want to see the face of Jesus, see him smile here and say, well, then other things will fade into the shadow in the light of Jesus Christ, God's only son. So 
Uh, think about this definition of heaven today. And we're going to talk about heaven as a place before the series is over. But um, uh, think about this definition of heaven. Heaven is wherever Jesus lives. Wherever Jesus is, it's heaven. Think about that. Now, there's power in heaven as a place, and eternity is a destination. There's power in that. I don't want to take that away from you. And I don't believe N.T. Wright is trying to take that away from us. But that's only half the story. There's also power, and more importantly, immediate instruction in seeing the kingdom of heaven as an experience. I'm going to talk to you today about three kingdom of heaven experiential realities. Number one, you can understand the kingdom of heaven. That's the first thing I'm going to talk about. You can understand the kingdom of heaven. Number two, you can live your natural life in the kingdom of heaven. Number three, you can experience the serenity that arises from submitting to the rule of the king. Now, let me give you three scriptures that we're going to use as a jumping off point. Number one, the first scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, a scripture that we always read at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, for us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called wonderful. Circle the word government. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government. There it is again. And peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now go to Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid and anxious little flock. Nothing about in the sweet by and by. Do not be anxious now. <laughs> Don't be afraid and anxious little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then we're going to jump to uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, grasping the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is the only way you can really satisfy the itch you have for eternity. It's also the only way to start living an eternal life. It's really good if you will believe you will live forever, but if that's your only perspective, you will miss the eternal life that is available to you now. You will miss the meaning of life itself. So let's begin by talking about the fact that you can understand the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to jump back to Matthew chapter 13 verse 11. He answered and said unto them, It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. He's talking to his disciples. It is given to you know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To understand the kingdom of heaven is to understand God and vice versa. You see... Matthew always uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. If you read the book of Matthew, you will not see the phrase the kingdom of God. Mark, Luke, and John use the phrase the kingdom of God. Now, why did Matthew use the kingdom of heaven? Why did he use that terminology? Like I've alluded to already, most people, when you 
when you speak of the word heaven, if you mention the word heaven, immediately your mind goes to gates of pearl, streets of gold, rivers of life, the, 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 the tree of, of life, leaves for the healing of the nations. Immediately your mind goes to the other world. But, but Jesus came saying to the, those scriptures, all those scriptures I read, I'm going to give you the mysteries of the kingdom. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Don't be anxious, little flock. It's the pleasure to give you the kingdom. No Jewish person heard streets of gold and gates of pearl and, and, and a river of, of life. None of them heard that when he said that. Jesus, Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus was preaching a gospel to the Jewish nation that they understood. And he did not correct them. He said, oh, no, you guys got it wrong. The kingdom of heaven is not about the, 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 your present life. Don't you think Jesus would have cleared that up? If the kingdom of God had nothing to do with your present existence, with your present life, don't you think he would have made it clear? At least he'd have pulled his disciples, because he was always doing that. He was saying, I know I said this to them, but they didn't get it. Let me tell you what I meant by what I said. No, he would have cleared that up. But he used the term kingdom of heaven because Matthew, Matthew the, the gospel of Matthew is focused on the Jews. The other three gospels are focused on the growing Greek and Roman uh, influence and, and uh, that, that the gospel was beginning to have. So the book of Matthew, the Jewish people avoided saying the name of God as much as possible because they considered it too sacred and too holy. So when Matthew writes to, to the Jewish, the Jewish uh, population about the kingdom of God, he calls it the kingdom of heaven because they're interchangeable words. Heaven the, the experience of heaven is the experience of God. If you are experiencing God, you're experiencing heaven. And some of you in this room, you've known those moments when you've experienced God in such a way that you were so filled with joy that you felt like you were going to explode. I had a, I had a moment that if anyone would have seen it, it would have been terribly embarrassing a few years ago when uh, I was... Um, I, I don't even remember the name of the beach uh, that I, I'd gone to to just spend some time to be along with the Lord. And I'm walking, and there's these tall reeds, so no one could see me. I, I was walking these tall reeds. It was during the week, so not hardly anyone was there. I was by myself, and I began to pray and, and worship God. And I'm, I'm telling you, I found myself, this is very embarrassing, but I found myself jumping up and down and weeping at the presence of God. And I don't need to go to have streets of gold and gates of pearl to have that experience. And I don't think streets of gold and gates of pearl and a river of running down the middle of the street or a, or a, or a proverbial mansion in the sky is going to give me anything better than that. Because the experience of heaven, experience of God is experience of heaven. Now, more importantly for us today, we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not a place Jesus wasn't talking about a place, but simply the realm in which God reigns. Evangelical Christianity has sometimes been corrupted by this idea that the kingdom of heaven is a place. I've already kind of made that clear. It has completely delayed our development because most Christians are waiting to die to stop carrying them, to start carrying themselves like sons and daughters of the king. 
Scripture says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Let's all say that together. Now we are the sons of God. Beloved, now, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, the rest of the verse says. Now we're the sons of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, John 3, 21, he said, Whoever does what is true comes to the light. We, we come to the light now. Now, now there were two groups of, of Jews that were especially looking for a conquering Messiah. They were the zealots and the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, you might pronounce it Essenes. But they were counting on a Messiah, a, a, a king who would purge sinners from their ranks and accomplish a military conquest of their enemies. That's what they were looking for. Uh, the, the zealots were, were more uh, hawks, military hawks, and, and, uh, and aggressive. Uh, and, and the Essenes were um, a, 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 a community that you would call them ascetics, who were, spent their time in meditation, and, and kind of like, a, kind of like a people in a monastery. And many people believe that John the Baptist actually hung out with the Essenes. And the, the zealots and the Essenes were especially focused. They wanted war. They wanted war. They wanted war in which the Messiah would come and he would win the war. Whether they were, whether they were the meditative, contemplative Essenes or whether they were the aggressive, militaristic zealots. They wanted war and they wanted their Messiah to come and conquer the enemies of Israel and have a good purging of all the sinners that were in Israel. So, so there was going to, the blood was going to flow. And they were going to win. And God was going to win. A good, a good illustration of this, and I'm, I think I'm just going to throw the verse up there on the screen, Numbers 25, 10 through 13. And I won't even bother to read it to you. But, uh, but this verse is, uh, and I know Dr. Wright talks a lot about this guy when he preaches about Paul. Uh, and, and why Paul, Apostle Paul was such a hero before he became a Christian. And he writes about uh, this, uh, this character named Phinehas. And uh, uh, Phinehas was a guy that when Israel got involved in idolatry with a, country, with a nation called the Midianites, one day Phinehas was looking out across the, the field or whatever where their tents were set up, and he watched, he watched a Jewish man take a Midian woman into a tent. And he picked up a spear and he goes into the tent and he impales these two, two lovers and kills them. And, 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 and Phineas became a hero to the Jewish community because he took, away, he took away the curse that sin and perversion was going to bring on the nation of Israel. So they treated he, forever Phineas, there was a memorial to Phinehas for the rest of Jewish history. He was a hero because he had... Now, this is, what, this is what the hardcore Jews in Israel wanted. They wanted Jesus to be a Phinehas. They wanted him to be the one who would come. But, but instead, of a, instead of a wrathful God, see, they said Messiah would only arrive when Israel lived according to God's law. Jesus used their ideas and he built on them. Yet a new thing, he began to tell them. God's reign is going to come 
not through military conquests, not through the punishment of sinners like Phinehas did, but through the ministry of healing and atoning work on the cross. Instead of a wrathful God intent on annihilating the opposition, Jesus revealed a compassionate God who was eager for mercy. The appeal to judgment would have seemed right by human standards, a logical response to the problem of evil. Of course, this is very interesting. Those who were most looking forward to God's judgment assume that they were the righteous ones who would survive the judgment. (laughs) They wanted a Messiah who would offer relief from their enemies, not one who would expose their own need for forgiveness and then demand that they extend that forgiveness to their oppressors. Do you realize how radical it was when Jesus said, love your enemies? Do good to those who despitefully use you? No wonder they crucified him. Little wonder also that sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors flocked to Jesus. They were drawn by the message of mercy. They had never heard it before. John the Baptist makes a very interesting statement. He says, Remember, John the Baptist probably hung out with the Essenes. And he, he, he was right. John the Baptist was right, but his, his, his timing was off. And some of us, our timing is off. We want God... We can all relate to this, by the way. We all... We, I don't know, we all. Maybe a lot of us. I'll put myself in the category. I want Jesus to start swinging the axe right now (laughs) and so John the Baptist goes the axe is laid to the root of the tree what's he talking about he's talking about judgment he's looking forward to the son of God swinging the axe at the tree of life of human human existence and cutting the tree down and then Jesus comes along And he tells this story about a tree. I call it the mercy tree. John the Baptist had the judgment tree. And John was right. But but his timing was off. Jesus talks about this tree that bore no fruit. And they were going to cut the tree down. And and the steward who, who, who was taking care of the land said, no, no, master, don't, don't cut the tree down yet. Let me work on it for a year and let me fertilize it and see if I can get it to grow. So Jesus says, okay, John the Baptist, he didn't say it exactly, but in so many words, he, what he said was, John, I'm not going to get my axe out yet. I'm going to pour love and mercy and compassion, and I'm going to try to bring Greeks, Romans, Jews, people from all nations. You, got, you guys missed those scriptures that said Abraham's seed would be a blessing to all the nations. You guys missed that. You've become nas- totally nationalist. You've missed the fact that I come to build a kingdom that would transcend every nation, transcend every race, transcend every type of person, transcend all sin. You, you, you don't understand the way I plan to conquer the world. So, this would be a kingdom that would exhaust the call of all people to repentance, restoration, and healing before judgment. This explains why we have injustice and suffering in the world, by the way. 
He is not willing that any should perish. So the downside of God being merciful is that it allows sin to continue. It allows abuse to continue. It allows injustice to continue because he's not ready to bring the hammer down yet. He's not ready to take the axe to the root of the tree. We want, you know, this leads us to two-part kingdom existence. We want everyone to know that Jesus is the king of God's realm and they can have salvation, forgiveness, healing, and peace. And we go around every day bringing what the Jews call shalom to a world which is a foretaste of the kingdom that is, that is not, but that is now, to use N.T. Wright's phrase, is now but not yet. Um, I, I, it, the other night, the, uh, Dr. Russ White, who, who talked about, um, I, I, I was heard him lecture at Brown University, or talk, he did not lecture, but talk at Brown University, and he is, um, he's done this amazing, he's opened this amazing hospital in Kenya uh, that trains doctors because he, he said that 25% of the world's medical needs are in the sub-Saharan Africa, and uh, heart disease is the number one killer, and there were no, virtually no heart surgeons at all. He said AIDS gets all the press, but he says there's more people dying there of heart disease than AIDS. And so he has built this enormous hospital. I believe last count he's, he's raised up 125 heart surgeons, doing an incredible work. And he said something. He said, I am there to spread shalom. And he said the word shalom is a very difficult word to translate from the Hebrew but he said, to me, shalom means to make things as they were meant to be. To make things as they were meant to be. And I, I, I just got tears in my eyes when he said that. Because that's what we're trying to do at Bethany Community Church. That's what Compassion England is trying to do. We're not going to fix the world. We have no idea. Of, we have no vision of a utopia. That we're going to create a utopian world. Jesus has to come back for that. But we, ought, we do want to go around every chance we get making things as they were meant to be. Isn't that, an, isn't that an incredible definition of shalom? Making things as they were meant to be. What if you just spend your day? That, that, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. But that's what it means to, uh, that's what it means to, um, to walk in the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. Is you go around in your life and in your relationships and you go around in every part of your life and you try to make things as they were meant to be. You don't live a life of vengeance. You don't live a life of getting even. You don't live a life of getting back. You don't, you don't live a life of, of anger and frustration all the time. You don't live a life of bitterness. You live a life of feeling satisfied if you can make one person's life as it was meant to be. Second thing I want to talk about is you can live your natural life in the kingdom of, God, of heaven. <clears throat> See, I think, I think we've completely missed the mark in the local church, that the local church is supposed to be... Uh, the, the, see, the, the local church... Now, let me, let, me, let me kind of unravel what I was about to say. The local church is supposed to be an experience of the kingdom of heaven. We don't take our life together seriously enough. It's tragic. We need to start functioning as the kingdom of heaven. Um, 
You, you know, you know I, 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 got, I got to say this, even if I don't finish the sermon. This is, this is just too important. Because, because, you know, remember in the beginning of the sermon, I talked, I, we quoted the verse. Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, if you've, if you've grown up in any church that was like charismatic, Pentecostal, like I was, you were taught that binding and loosing is about binding and loosing demon spirits. I bind you. I bind that in the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray that prayer. I bind this. I bind that. That verse has nothing to do with binding, binding and loosing demon spirits. I believe, in, I believe in casting out demons, by the way. I'm not taking that away from you. But if you, don't, if you don't look at Matthew 18 and look at what the verse was really talking about. He is talking about, and I don't have time to read it, so just go home and read Matthew 18 on your own. It's talking about persistent Sin among church members. Persistent sin in the life of church members. So Jesus was very, Jesus was very ch- churchy. He was a church guy. He, he went to synagogue every Sabbath. He was a church guy. He identified his disciples as the church. And that chapter 18 of Matthew is about persistent sin in the life of of believers but it's not doesn't lead us to punish sin in the life of believers in the church it leads read it please read it it leads us to reconcile because sin breaks us apart sin in the life of church members causes church members to be at odds with one another It causes Christians not to get along. It causes Christians to hurt each other and be alienated from each other. And so he said, if you see your brother sin, right in the context of this verse, if your brother sins, go to them and tell them their fault between you and them alone. And if they listen to you, you have punished your brother. No? Did I I get that wrong? Does anybody know their Bibles? Nobody knows your Bibles in this place? What does it say? What? Who said that? Who said that? One. You have won your brother. Binding and loosing is about binding sin in the church. And loosing righteousness in the church. Whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. Righteousness. God will loose righteousness in a church. That takes sin seriously, but doesn't punish one another, but tries to win one another. That you're constantly pursuing a deeper relationship with other believers in the church. You're constantly trying to pursue a deeper relationship. And it says, if, you don't, if they don't listen to you, take two or more with you. And if they don't listen to them, tell it to the church. No, we're not going to use Sunday morning platform to tell your sins to the church, so don't worry. There's a process for that. And if they won't listen to the church, send them to hell. Kill them. Execute them. Come on. Do you know your Bibles? What does it say? Come on. I'm embarrassed to be in a crowded church people that don't know Matthew 18. What have you been reading? The Wall Street Journal? You ain't been reading your Bible? What are you trying to do if you're not reading your Bible? How are you going to be a Christian? How are you going to live in the kingdom of heaven if you don't read the guidebook for living in the kingdom of heaven? 
You got to read. Come on, help me out. If if you if 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 they don't listen to church, treat them as a what? What? Pagan. Well, yeah. Maybe some translations use that word. It's fine. Treat them as a publican and a sinner. Well, how does Jesus treat publicans and sinners? Jesus tells a story about the publican who, who beat his ground and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, they didn't like Jesus because he hung out with sinners. So, so there's, no place, there's no place for not loving people in the church. There's no place for not loving. If I treat you as a sinner, I really love you. Because guess what? Jesus died for sinners. So we should be dying for one another. We should be laying down our life for one another. That's what's meant by loosing. He, 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 what, he, what that scripture is saying, he's saying, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven so you can loose heaven in your fellowship. So you can turn heaven loose in your church, in your local church. Your local church can become heaven on earth. I thought you'd be more excited when I said that. That's why I said it so loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've given my time to that explanation because I really felt I had to do it, man, because I realized. So I don't have, I'm not going to spend much time on uh, you can live your natural life in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I will say this. One of, the, one of the difficulties we have with this is, there's, okay, if, the king, if Jesus brought the kingdom, which he did, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's here permanent now and you say but yeah but the, the, everything's a mess and there's sin and there's problems well the best illustration I've heard to explain this would be D-Day versus V-E Day in the World War II D-Day is the day of the Normandy invasion and that was July, June the 6th 1944 allied troops hit the beaches of Normandy and let me tell you something when they hit the beaches of Normandy, the Nazis were done. The victory was assured. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew that we were going to be victorious, even though we lost a lot of people in that invasion. And a lot of people still died in that invasion. So that was June 6, 1944. VE Day... Victory in Europe Day was May 8th, 1945. So the invasion of Normandy was well before total victory was realized. That's exactly where we're at. Jesus came to earth. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the Normandy invasion. The church was born in Acts chapter 2. That was a Normandy invasion. Victory was assured. We're just waiting. We're just waiting for VE Day. When God will complete what he started. But the devil knows he's done. The devil knows it. And if I had time, we could give you examples. In the culture where you can see the devil knows he's done. Finally, I want to talk to you about this. You can experience the serenity that arising from submitting to the role of the king. 
Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, Every faithful Jew prays the Shema every morning, every afternoon, and every evening, three times a day. It's found in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the rabbis from ancient times taught that anyone who prays this prayer with a sincere heart receive, here's their exact words, they receive upon themselves the kingdom of heaven. They understood that people who made this daily commitment were mentally bowing down before God, enthroning Him as their king. Such people were proclaiming their faith in God and pledging to live under His reign. To make this commitment had nothing to do with taking part in a political movement or going to heaven after they died, but everything to do with making an individual spiritual decision. So for both Jesus and the rabbis to receive or to enter the kingdom of heaven could describe nothing more or less than making a personal commitment to loving God with all your heart. The rabbis understood it as worshiping God the Father as one's king. And Jesus expanded it to mean worshiping God in light of the authority of himself, of Christ, that was given to rule over us. Listen to the words in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People who are poor in spirit are those of us in this room who are sick and tired of living our lives under bad management. We're hungry for God's leadership. We, We accept his guidance with humility, and we realize the impossibility of life without Christ. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day, and he would not... He would not obey the Lord. He would not give his wealth as God, as Jesus asked him. And when he walked away, Jesus said, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He was not talking about going to heaven. But what is most hard for us and what was most hard for that ruler, young, rich young attorney, was that submitting our will to God is very hard. And perhaps more importantly, letting go of our obsession with this present material world. Now listen, let me say this very clearly. I believe as a Christian you can be politically active and involved. And I believe more Christians should be politically active and politically involved. I believe we've missed it. I believe many more Christians should have gone into politics. More Christians should should have served in, 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 in the government. But I do not believe you can be obsessed with politics and be... And live in the peace of the kingdom of heaven. You have to let go. You have to let go. Of the the vision of a utopian world without Christ. As some of you know. I've done a deep, deep dive into cultural shifts in the last six years. Read all kinds of things. Books. Podcasts. and, and, And I... I'm glad I did it. And you know one of the reasons I'm glad I did it? I have completely lost faith in humanity. I mean that. I've really lost faith in humanity. Now, now that doesn't mean I don't love people. Or, or I, I, believe, I believe there's basic goodness in people. That's not what I meant. I mean the system. The system is so broken. 
and so corrupt. It's not just democratically corrupt or Republican corrupt. It's just corrupt and it's dirty. It's driven by the power of money. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the power of money. It's driven, the system is driven almost entirely by the power of money. And I've, 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 I've seen so much and read so much and, and, and learned so much about the world that I live in. But you know, it's done a, a, another good thing for me. I am so excited about the kingdom of God. I'm so, I have so much trust in God now, in the word of God. Everything the Bible says is true. Every word of it's true. And it's great. It's great. So what, what does that give me? Peace. I have peace. That's what God wants to give you. If you'll, if you'll enter the kingdom of heaven, you'll have peace. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll have times of burden and, and, and weeping and mourning over the condition of the world. And I have that. But you'll be able to step back from it. You'll be able to step back from the brink and enjoy the peace of God that passeth all understanding. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Somebody in this room, you really need that right now. Somebody, maybe it's the politics that's got you messed up. You really need to step into the kingdom of heaven and see it as reality. You know, I want to ask our prayer partners to come and take their place right now. And I'm so excited about these guys that are going to pray for you. And some of you really need to come up here and you need to pray for to get your peace restored. Now, we should not, let me, let me say this in closing. We should not eliminate the concept of the sinner's prayer. Nor should we cease preaching that we can eternal, obtain eternal salvation through faith. However, we must move away from viewing the sinner's prayer as a superficial magic formula and instead recognize it as a sincere expression of remorse and commitment to live life according to our own plan instead of God's, God's divine plan, which is what is truly meant by, the, by coming into the kingdom of heaven. It's when you submit to your life, you surrender your life. The move from darkness to light is not done just through some saying some magical words. It's done when your heart turns away from that which is dissatisfying, unreliable, from the leadership of yourself to the leadership of God. I'm sure we've all had the experience of going by a restaurant or going by a, a store and this big sign under new management. That's what getting saved is, is. It's when you order your life to come under new management. And you're going to bring your life out of the kingdom of this world and you're going to bring it into the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself is going to be your benevolent dictator. <laughs> so Jesus himself will be your benevolent dictator. And the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, will be your journey mates in this journey to become what God wants us to be. And if we do this right, this will be a place, a little bit of heaven on earth. So, 
I'm going to pray. Lately, I've been doing this, and it seems like it's, it's helpful. I've just been praying that sinner's prayer with you. And um, I look forward to hearing that many of you are praying it for the first time. I look forward to getting the feedback. But um, uh, I want to pray that prayer, and then I want you to come and be prayed for by these prayer partners. It, whether, whether your need is for salvation or you have somebody else going, just a prayer, just a routine prayer. Maybe you have a, a doctor's appointment this week, or maybe you're waiting on test results, or maybe you're going for a new job, or maybe you're hearing that your job is being cut, or maybe there's brokenness in a relationship and you want healing for that. I want you to come up here. And these guys, uh, these guys all love God. They're all filled with the Spirit and they're here to pray for you. I want you to make, uh, avail yourself of them and please move out quickly, okay? Be ready to move. Let's pray. Stand up and let's pray. Pray after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is now. I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen.